You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming and Liam Curley. How's everything going today, Liam? Great, Paul. I'm energised. <laughs> but you, you, never, you never fail to make me laugh because it's only on the podcast that you're filled with such energy, it seems to me. I speak to you all day and I never see the energy levels at such high levels. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nightmare. <laughs> so, Liam, today's ep- I can see you're not going to give me much much action today, so we'll jump into it. Today's episode is titled Identifying Commercial to Resi Opportunities, and we are joined by Paul Davis, who is founder and director at Nimbus Maps, which is a trusted property data platform for developers, investors, or property professionals. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Hi, Paul. Very well. You're sat at the beach, it feels like, Paul. I am, yes. I am. I am. <sighs> not actually on the beach. you do that to us? Yes, quite. Sand in my toes or something like that. I'm not quite vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, Liam, before on the show, we've had Kiwis. We've had people from your neck of the woods. Today, I'm bringing people from my hometown. Paul, you're not today, you're on the beach, but you're from Leamington Spa, right? Or, and, I and am, business yes, is absolutely. Based in Warwick. Yeah, based in Warwick, yeah, from the middle of there, yeah, absolutely. But I was born there. Fantastic. So we've got a fellow Warwickshire man on the show. Hard to find, but we found one, and I'm chuffed about it. So Paul, to start off so that the listeners get a feel for who you are, introduce yourself, your business, and what you guys are doing. So my name is Paul, and I'm um, so we're from Nimbus Maps. So, so what Nimbus does is it's a it's sort of a property platform that kind of allows you to find and assess opportunities. Frankly, so it's it's finding property opportunities. It's helping work out whether they truly stack up, whether they're going to get planning consent for the kind of things you're after. In effect, so that's kind of what we do. Um, it's been quite a long journey getting here, and we've sort of had a sort of a number of things that we've done along the way to to kind of give ourselves comfort that these things work and that and these schemes kind of can go forward in effect. So, um, so that's kind of us in a nutshell, basically. And so I spoke to you beforehand and you described to me the journey that you personally took to set up your business and how you came to have your business. And I understand that you were kind of, you carved out a bit of a niche working for, was it a pub company initially? Yeah, sure. So we started off as investors, actually. So we started off as kind of commercial property investors and and sort of, we were then sort of forced into development. Got a bunch of buildings that were kind of creating high returns and, and though the sort of challenge with those buildings was that they, in effect, got to the end of their route useful life. They're kind of creating these high returns because they were quite tired, frankly. So we kind of got to this point where we either knock these things down or, or and rebuild them or we sell them. So we decided to knock them down and, and rebuild them, in effect. And, and that sort of pushed us into development. And then as we sort of went through that, there was kind of a sort of sounds like a simple step which we found was a lot harder than we thought actually but actually uh, made some simple mistakes that we shouldn't have shouldn't have made quite frankly and almost by definition of the way that we did it if we did it absolutely everything in the opposite direct the opposite way then actually that was the way you should do developments and and so kind of by making lots of mistakes we found out the way we should be doing these things and 
then we sort of started working with with one of the pub companies. So so one of the sites that we owned, we had some interest from Sainsbury's on it, and and we couldn't fit them onto our site. So we sort of wrote to a load, load of neighbouring owners and and hit with a pub company sort of back in two thousand and eight. And back at that point, you'd got Lehman Brothers just gone bust in America. You'd got smoking bans and sort of the, the pub industry had expanded very, very quickly up to that point and then was really struggling. So we hit them at the, at the right time and, and we ended up joint venturing this site with them and then sort of went on this journey with them, in effect, and a bunch of other companies looking at how do you find value in their estates, in effect. So they were sort of disposing of these sites and, and selling them all off quite cheaply. Um, and they wanted to kind of stop that rot in effect. So we sort of developed ways in which we could, in effect, look at very large estates very quickly and identify which of the properties to really kind of target and focus on. And that then moved us into sort of getting getting retained by the likes of Co-op and Sainsbury's and people like that to go and find convenience stores. Back in the day, we had PD rights from A4 to A1 from pub use, in effect, down to A1 shops. And therefore, some of the sites that work, some of the pub sites work quite well for for those retailers in effect. So we started doing quite a lot for them. And off the back of that, they were sort of quite interested in some of the sites we, we sort of brought forward, but they were sort of we were sort of demonstrating on this, this platform that we built to them. And they were like, um, the site's kind of interesting, but what's this, what's this bit of software you've got over here and, and can we use it, please? And and so we sort of, well, do you use it yourself or do you do you let your clients use it? And we said, well, sort of agreed some, some numbers for them and they got their teams using it and we got some great feedback off the back of it and and things kind of went from there, really, so... So, so you effectively built what is now Nimbus Maps as a tool that you were using to act as a, almost as a consultant to said pub company to help them find opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And that then became a tool that they said, I'm interested to use. And you guys thought, wow, we should, we should maybe actually sell this product to uh, the wider market. Well, widely, yeah. You know, we, we, it was kind of a difficult, difficult decision at the time. Sort of, you know, do you do you sell this thing or do you keep it yourself? Because it was the kind of thing that was giving us a USP. You know, our kind of our, our consultancy business was was thriving because we had this technology behind the scenes that others couldn't compete with us. So we were competing with the big national brands, but of course they didn't have that that IT infrastructure, so they couldn't do the things we could do. And so, do you then sell that thing to to people to kind of so they can compete with you? Or do you keep it yourself and, and keep your USP? And so it was kind of a difficult decision to make at the time. But it was very interesting because the stuff that we were doing back then, in effect, was creating strategies around these, these particular estates, in effect, and saying, well, how, how can you add value to a, a pub, for example? What are the different things you can do with that? And then how would you find those buildings within those estates where these things work for them? And so in essence, we were just... So you haven't been the man, the man getting rid of loads of pubs? Surely. We did, we did do a few, but they were, they were mainly the ones that people didn't want to go to. Oh. Sort of so... Um, <laughs> So there were quite a few that did close down. But in effect, in many ways, the vast majority of them were already closed before we got anywhere near them, frankly. And they'd already, they'd already kind of failed. Fine, I'll let you off. I'll let you off this time. Yeah, once, once they close, they're, they're very difficult to kind of get back, um, back open again. And, and that's then when you start looking at repositioning them. There were some sites that um, some others kind of progressed that perhaps, perhaps did lose some, some assets in the, uh, in the, in the, in the estates. But, um, but yeah, we didn't, didn't do much of that. Paul? Given what you just said then about that being a difficult decision of whether to take it to market, how did you end up making the decision that you made? Yeah, so, so I think what we what we felt was that if we didn't do it, somebody else would. And and that we would struggle to maintain our position kind of leading this charge if somebody else could come in, create something and do something similar and then have the weight of the industry behind them and, and push that forward. So, so we didn't think we we would like to be able to defend that position. 
and then actually we're way better off getting others to use it, getting their feedback, understanding what they wanted to use for it. Um, we were sort of pushed into a bit of a collaborative approach. We're a very collaborative company anyway, but sort of at the point when you're doing development schemes for, for clients and things like that, then there's kind of a bit of a closed book that you end up sort of acting as. And, and we're sort of encouraged to work with other developers we were competing with, which actually worked very well for us. So some of the things that they were naturally checking, we weren't checking until later. And so it allows us to look at the process of how you, how you work out whether a site works and see how much you can front load. Um, so the schemes that you do progress with and the stuff you do kind of focus on is truly viable in effect. So yeah, kind of long answer to a simple question really. We, we sort of felt that it was the right thing to do. Um, it strengthened our relationships with our, with our customers too. So because we were selling them software that was helping them do what they, did, do what they were doing, um, what they wanted to do, it sort of helped raise our profile because we're the ones that not only can do that stuff, but we've actually got a piece of software that does it for them and automates it. So therefore, we must know what we're doing because we've, we've kind of automated it really. So it kind of worked all which ways around really. And of course, then you get all this great feedback from the, from the users saying, well, actually, it'd be great if we could do this, it'd be great if we could do that. And so... We just had to go and work out how we did that, and that's been the, the journey, really. It's, it's, it's a really great story, and it just shows you... Uh, what's so nice about it is that it's, it's a tool that you guys literally developed to do the job that other consultants, uh, property developers, investors are, are doing. So you, you gave yourself that USP, as you put it, and then you've now given it to the rest of the sector, or are giving it to the rest of the sector by making the tool available. It's a really great story. But I wanted to talk today about identifying commercial to residential opportunities, which clearly, Paul, you are an absolute expert at. In one of Nimbus's recent articles, you described Class MA, which is mercantile to abode. Is what yeah. the MA is. I've, I've pronounced that right, Paul. That yeah? is right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you describe... Uh, Class MA as one of the most exciting changes to permitted development rights for decades. Now that is a sentence on its own that only people in development would ever ever say, but I liked it. So why is Class MA one of the most exciting changes to permitted development rights for decades? So I guess kind of in that sort of early part of that journey, we were doing sort of investor develop ourselves. We were doing a whole bunch of schemes that we took quite a lot of risks. So we were sort of buying buildings and converting them into flats or whatever um, and doing all that sort of through through full planning sort of then kind of you sort of move through to sort of I can't remember, 2010 2013 that sort of time when you start getting these other these other PD rights come in sort of class G class O all those kind of things and those then meant that there's kind of an open door to to, to development but they were kind of quite specific so it's you know class G is the the space above a shop and converting that to two flats class O is taking certain office buildings and converting to residential and stuff like that so Class MA, though, is a much broader thing. So on top of Class MA, you've got this new thing called Class E, which is the new planning use. So that's kind of lumping together lots and lots of different commercial uses and kind of headlines. It's, it's shops, betting shops, so A1, A2, A3 as, as was, the old B1 uses, so, shop, so um, offices, industrial buildings, R&D buildings, and then some of the D1 and D2 uses. And sort of lumping this huge kind of new kind of superclass, if you like, of, of the majority of commercial buildings into one use. And then saying, well, for all that stuff, you can convert that into residential. So it's rather than kind of small little pieces that it's sort of pulling out, saying, well, you can convert these few bits over here into this. It's a much broader thing that you can now convert. There's, there's some restrictions around it. You can't do it in certain areas and certain, certain kind of planning constraints. But it's a much broader use of, of buildings that then you can convert to, to residential as part of that. And I think when you then also overlay the 
sort of the market conditions and you say, well, actually, I suppose, you know, this thing called COVID has obviously changed our world in some kind of ways in case people haven't kind of realised and kind of the ways in which we, we see the world. And of course, so the way people are looking at their, at their own assets is, is kind of hugely different. The way that retailers are trading is now hugely different because they've been locked up and they can't open their shops for a certain period of time and they're now looking at multi-channel sales and selling stuff through websites and, and how they're distributing all that. It's kind of it's all up in the air. And so the space that they used to take and they wanted two years ago is now very different from the space they want now. So there's kind of this opportunity to, to move stuff around. There's the high street itself and the death of the high street as we're, as we're told and kind of that all being repositioned at the same time with then this class MA thing on the, on the edge of the resale sort of where you can then convert some of that stuff into, into residential at the same time. And then you then layer on top of that, what's the future of the office and how do you, you know, are we going back into the office? Are we not? So we at Nimbus are back in the office a day a week for all of us. Now we're sort of drifting back to two days. Will it be three days? Will it be two? Will it be one? Kind of where's all that going to end up? And therefore how much space does the... But it will never the, be five. It's very unlikely to be five, absolutely. Albeit... where's it going to end up we don't really know is is the answer and and then sort of do we use sort of service space and kind of you know just hot desk in a in 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 an office somewhere near home rather than so you can get out of the house but so kind of how where does all that kind of settle down to and then overlaying on top of that a whole new use class where you can just freely change the uses between all those different sort of broader use classes that you've got and then you can convert a whole bunch of that into residential as well the whole thing is is just stirred up into a into a very exciting. Absolutely, there's so much opportunity that can that can come out of it. That um, it's it's very interesting times to be in property. And of course, those those PD rights now apply to buildings that have had those before, and they're they're quite big buildings. So Class MA, you can take a building up to 1,500 square meters, so sort of 16,000 square feet. So it's kind of up to like 30 flats you can get something like that. So it's a big building that you can you can convert. And there's also there's some other bits and pieces you can do around Class ZA and put stuff on top and kind of loads. So there's, there's so much that you can do now. I don't think we've seen I can such see a you're genuinely about. excited about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, there's, there's, just, there's just a huge amount of opportunity out there. And I think when you get this kind of this political support and this political pressure to, you know, that's the government's plan is for us to build ourselves out of COVID in effect. That's what the message was last year, the build, build, build message. When you get that kind of push rather than, what you're kind of used to in the property industry, kind of nimbyism and not in my backyard kind of stuff. When you've got this kind of push from central government to say this is what we're going to go and do, and we're going to kick down as many as many kind of obstacles that are in your way, and going to kick those down so you can get through these things, I think it creates a huge opportunity for the property market. Really, really do. And we've really got to capitalise on it. And so, in layman's terms, Class MA is effectively creating a new class for permitted development projects, effectively expanding multiple different types of commercial or office space that can now be converted into resi effectively makes it a lot simpler is that the layman's term in essence yeah so in in layman's terms you've now got a whole broad use set of uses that you can now apply this thing to and the new thing you apply is class ma to it so in effect you've got a whole load of new uses that previously you were you had to put full planning applications in and prove the reason why you would lose it and this kind of stuff and now you've got a, an open door to convert that to residential in an awful lot of cases. So in effect, it's that, yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, we're going to talk about just how exciting and why it's exciting right after this break, Paul.
Own the Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. So welcome back to the show. So we now know what class MA is. We even know how to pronounce it, but I'm not going to try again because I'll make a fool of myself. If, Paul, you were not the founder of Nimbus Maps, you were a property investor or your, your old self, let's say, how would you be looking to exploit class MA to your benefit? There's, I suppose, some really interesting things. I suppose some kind of movements in the market that I think are pretty new, actually. And that is around kind of where you look for this stuff. So historically, back in the days when we were doing this, we would we would look on market, which is the usual you know websites and this kind of stuff, and run with commercial and this kind of stuff. And then we'd have a bunch of surveyors and agents that we'd kind of work with who'd bring us um, sites they've managed to find from somewhere and, and this sort of thing. There's a sort of a big movement now into uh, finding stuff yourself. So rather than relying on agents to bring stuff to you, is then going out and digging out opportunities yourself. And I think that's a really interesting thing because it gives you as the as the owner of, or, sorry, as the, as the person trying to buy these opportunities, it gives you control of what you look for. So for me, I think what I would be doing is is that I'd be letter campaigning, going straight to owners, and and searching in areas where the values are high enough. So it's uh, there's kind of a, 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 a so when I say that there's values being high enough, but they're not too high because if it's too high, it gets very competitive. So if we if we go searching in central London, it becomes very competitive, and therefore it's um, a sort of a, a difficult place to go and acquire stuff. If we go into sort of Middle England, then you have this these numbers that stack up, but actually it's it's way less way less competitive, quite frankly. You've still got buoyant marketplaces, you've still got great values, the likes of Leamington Spa, the centre of the universe, of course, um, as Paul well knows. So so as I said, that, that is for me is kind of is middle England. It's that sort of anything from about three hundred pounds a foot up to about five hundred pounds a foot is is typically that that band where lots of buildings will convert in that in that space. You've got enough in the sales prices to, to be able to drive enough of a land value or, or kind of residual value for the for the building for it to for it to convert in effect. So so I'd be searching in those kind of areas and I'd be I'd be doing it off market. So I'd be doing it truly off market, writing letters myself to those owners. It gives you then time, you see. So if you've got an agent sat in the middle of it, they rev things up and sort of it, and it's in their interest to try and get you to, to, to buy buy something. Obviously it's kind of what they're there for to to get people looking at buildings and, and this sort of stuff. But I think for me I'd be going truly, truly off market if I could. Uh, it's music to my ears we've got to do as much development and investment into Leamington Spa and Warwickshire as as is possible in my opinion absolutely and um, yeah so I understand that would be so you'd go into specific areas where you've got value but not high high value that makes sense but I guess what I'm struggling to understand and again I am not a developer I'm a QS is how you would identify certain stock that is out there and how you would best identify, now that you have Class MA, that stock and what it could be converted into. 
So I suppose there's a bunch of things that you have to check as part of that. So you have to check with the buildings in Article 2.3 land and, and these sorts of things. There's kind of a, a bunch of planning things that are going to stop certain buildings. So you first got to go and check that the buildings you're looking at haven't got those those kind of problems in effect. So I'd first off be be checking those. You think I'll start looking at so the, you know the two things going to stop a stop a scheme working. I'll kind of get planning for it. And number two is is it going to work financially for me? So then you want to be sort of understanding what those local market values are. So what are the sales prices in an area? Typically, you'll do that by looking at what flats and houses have sold for. Typically, if you're doing conversions, there's going to be flats you're going to be building. In today's market, those one and a half balconies are a bit of outside space, that kind of post-COVID world of being locked up in a one-bedroom flat without a balcony for, for months and months and months on end. I think that that sort of marketplace without balconies is, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing. So you want, to be, you want to be thinking about that. But typically, you'll be looking and saying, well, what are those sales prices in area? And then what are the underlying values of office buildings in those areas? Obviously, then checking the planning policy in the background. So once you get all of those things lining up, and then what are, my, what are my build costs? And what are the what are the conversion costs in these areas for these sorts of things? And that's where we've tapped into a good QS to give us some sort of budget figures to be working with. Then off the back of that, then that's going to focus your, your attention. So whatever your sales prices are in an area, whatever your profit levels are, 25% return on costs, something like that, knock off your build costs, gives you a budget to buy buildings in. And then, and then you really want those buildings to be in an area that has a residential feel to it so that you've got flats to the side of it or houses to, you know, to the side of it, something like that, so that when you look at the building and you say, if that wasn't an office and that was something else, is it going to be sympathetic? Is it going to sit, fit in line with the stuff that's around it? And then that's when you start to get some good schemes going forward. If you've got an office building in the centre of an office park, it's not going to be the thing that you want. Yeah, that, and that makes perfect sense. I guess we're, you know, everyone's talking about the high street is dead. And, I mean, there's evidence of it on almost every high street in the country, right? So I think we can all see that. But then, you, as you say, you do wonder, or I wonder, you talk about having a, a residential scheme on a business park doesn't really make any sense but then you've got high streets which are commercial for want of a better phrase and it i do struggle to see how they they flip into residential so easy how do you see the future of the high street i know it's a really difficult question but what's your view on it well no it's yeah it's quite simple really. so there are Parts of the high street are, are too valuable to convert to residential. So if you if you look in, and in fact, not every high street is struggling in the way that you make out. Actually, so if you walk down the high street in Leamington Spa, you'll see there's three buildings with with toilet balls on the outside, all with great big red banners across saying "Let Let Let." It's, so I think there there are some high streets because it's Leamington Spa, centre of absolutely. the world, as you said. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I think so. <laughs> that is part of the strategy. Actually, is making sure you're investing in those in those quality locations. Um, and I would put Leamington Spa in that quality location just just for just for the record. So investing in those kind of those pockets of, of value, in effect, that's a, a sort of a useful thing to do. But I think when you're looking at a high street. The sort of the, the central, the most prime parts of those of those high streets won't they won't stack up to convert to residential. So the idea of seeing, I don't know, the the Vodafone shop and the O2 shop or whatever, and then a house sat next to it, that's not really going to happen because those those kind of central parts of town are too valuable to convert to residential. Does doesn't stack up. So the residential conversions, where it's the whole building, typically are on the edges of those of those town centres. So I think what you'll see is you'll see the the, the centre of town shrinking because actually some of those buildings on the edge will then convert to residential. 
but then that will kind of put pressure on the on the centre of the town, which means that those those kind of really prime locations will still maintain some quite high values, certainly high enough that they're not going to convert to residential, frankly. And it's the space above it, it's the space at the back that, that will convert. So, you know, your, your retail values sort of when you get to sort of zone C, zone D and this sort of stuff often kind of fall off quite quite quickly. And then you start to, you can apply class MA or the old class M actually to, to convert the back bits of the, the retail units or perhaps stuff off the return frontage or stuff off the, off the rear service yard or whatever. That sort of stuff can then go to residential in those areas. So I think the main retail pitch right at the front that stuff's not going not gonna to convert to be too valuable to do that. So, so the economics aren't going to stack up for, for those bits. Which is why I think that what's going to happen, you're going to get the edges are going to move to residential or perhaps other uses. Perhaps you, so now within this new class E, which retail is part, you can use those other units for things like gyms and for um, creches and doctor surgery and this kind of stuff. So there's a much broader use and indeed office space as well. So you know, there's a serviced office space on the ground floor, some kind of quasi cafe sort of serviced office space. You'll see that sort of stuff, I think, crop up as well, where those values do work on the edges of, of, the, of the retail space. And, and so I think you, you sort of see this different, this different complexion to the, to the, the high street. So I think you're going, to, you're going to see those that sort of that whole complexion change in in the way that it works, and, and the same thing's true. You know, what is the future of the office? Well, does that office become a a hub in the centre of town where you can kind of come in for a few hours, have a few meetings in an area in a in your own office space that is your, your company's own space, but then over the road you've got you know Domino's Pizza for, to bring in for you know for your, your food, or go and nip down the road to the coffee shop and get a cup of coffee and come back and drink you know drink it in the in the office space in the centre of town, and then disappear again and go back home to work for the rest of the day. So so I think those things then those values on the edge of the retail space, the edge of the high street, do start stacking up for that sort of stuff. I hadn't thought about it quite like that. I was just looking at high streets and thinking how how are these going to convert in, into residential? But what you're describing is a world where the outskirts of the high street effectively become resi and the, it shrinks effectively. What we previously knew as the high street is going to be a, a smaller but higher value area because people are always going to want to go into town for a coffee or, or whatever else. So that does, that's, that's clear to me and I, I, I can see that happening. Did you want to say anything, Liam? Is yeah, I was going to ask on your Paul mind. question. I've got something on my mind. I want to get it out. I don't let want to it get it off. Yeah, fine. Get um, it off your chest. So... Going back to the start of the episode, Paul, when you were talking about, you know, how you started Nimbus pre what it is now, if you like, with the with the pub company, are there similarities between the market now and that market that you you found the opportunity with the pubs? Are there any similarities that you identify? Yeah, I think the the similarities were kind of strongest at the we went into lockdown actually that was something that we we talked about quite heavily at um at nimbus so back in 2008 when len brothers went bust we had you know queues outside northern rock and this sort of stuff where you know these banks are starting to fail oh all my life what's going to happen this global economic crisis and and as we went into that that crisis we were buying a few bills we got sort of a few buildings we were trying to buy at the time and there was this kind of real fear that you're kind of catching a falling knife. You know, you're you're catching this building and buying it, and you're and you're locking into a price at that point. And where's the market going to bottom out? You know, when do you when do you buy, and what what price do you pay for these for these things? We went into lockdown this time round, 
it felt very similar. You know, you sort of one day you you walk outside your house and there's cars driving around and it's all kind of normal. The next day they're all gone. <laughs> and it was this strange kind of almost apocalyptic feeling of, of what's happened to the world kind of thing. And that was, I think, the, the most similar that I'd seen sort of when you started to see these, you know, these things that these banks that are too big to fail kind of going bust and and kind of that sort of the whole world's going to a recession what are we going to do kind of thing and so I think there were quite a lot of similarities around all of that I think what's kind of interesting from a property point of view is that there's always money to be made in a rising or falling market and so provided you're you're careful with with what you buy and when you buy and where you buy and this sort of stuff then there's always kind of money to be made across that so there were some very interesting sort of comments that were made as we went through that where people were analysing the rate at which things like residential properties drop in value as opposed to commercial properties, which ones then come back quickest. And typically the commercial ones sort of drop off quicker and the residential ones come down more slowly. Residential comes back quicker and then the sort of the, the commercial comes back later as well. And so sort of those similarities have sort of played themselves out again this time around. So yeah, quite a lot of similarities, I think, in many ways. We, we started talking quite a lot about that when, when it's sort of here. And what we found was that when we went into lockdown, there's lots of people sort of telling you about how horrendous this could be and how horrendous the world was going to be, but nobody giving you any kind of help in terms of well, what does that mean for you now? What can you do now? And how can you how can you kind of protect yourselves? And so, so we we tried very hard to think about well, how did we feel back in 2008, and what were the things we were thinking of, and then what did we do then, and how did that affect us going forward, and how could we then share that and sort of try to share that that sort of the wounds and the scars that we had from back then and try to try to kind of help explain what had happened and why and, and how those similarities were were kind of playing themselves out again in um, in, the, in the COVID problems. Does that make sense? I hope I've answered your question. I feel like I might have got somewhere <laughs> close, but I'm not sure. No, I, I think that was a good answer. Definitely makes sense. And so I have had the pleasure of understanding about Nimbus Maps. I know how your business works. Let's imagine the future Paul, where do you where do you see your business and where do you see your product going in the future? Where's where's the technology headed? So there's there's lots of I think obvious applications of technology to what we're doing. I think there's lots of technology companies out there, sort of with technology trying to find a home in many ways, and sort of slightly slightly cheeky thing to say in many ways. But you know I've got some technology and how can I find a pain to to try and fix with it rather than what are the true problems that the industry has. And then we worry about what technology we use to go and fix those problems once we know and we fully understand, we fully empathise with those problems. And so... Oh, you're so, talking Liam's language here. He's liking this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... What, what is it, Liam? Find, find the... Find the... Find well, the uh, you know, you can talk customer-centric. Focus on yeah. the... There's all sorts of different um, terminology, isn't there? But it's focusing on the, the need or the job or the problem and uh, solving the problem... Or, you know, like we had before, you get a lot of people that make a key and then go around trying to find a lock that it fits in as opposed to finding the lock that you want to open the door to and craft in a key. And it sounds that's like what you're focusing on, Paul. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, it's all about helping the people that want to come on the journey with us, helping them solve the problems that they've got and not solve the problems that we want to solve. It's there's sort of two completely different things and, and trying to truly understand the problems that the customers are having and then making sure that we're fixing those the best we possibly can and we're tapping into whatever technology we need to to make that, to make that happen is, um, is key really. That said, we have got a, a suite of things that we think are really useful for the industry and that 
solve problems and pains that we had. And I think I think you'll see us start to build those out quite quickly through the one being built at the moment. That um, um, I won't say too much about it, but there's there's, there's one that's about to be released very shortly. That um, come on, <laughs> Paul, Paul. Before you go further into that, what what sure. are, do you think are the headline problems for your typical users? In fact, who would a typical user be for Nimbus Max? Our product. So in effect, it, it helps you find and assess opportunities. So it's it's property investors, property developers. Um, it's all the property professionals that hang off those people. So it's um, it is the agents. It's helping them find the stuff because there is a definitely a place for agents. Agents need to give confidence through through transactions. They they get caught up a lot in in stuff where they're not adding enough value and actually their time is spent in better places. And so it, I think our system helps them a lot with that of, of not doing the dross but actually focusing on what they're really good at and and where they really add value. It's then all the property professionals that hang off that, so it includes planners, architects, all those sorts of people. And then we, we appeal to a lot of occupiers as well. So um, lots, of, lots of the old clients, so lots of the, kind of the, 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 the food retailers and lots of, of retailers generally and pub companies and um, ledger operators and this kind of stuff. Again, use Nimbus to find um, find sites, assess the sites they already own. Some have these huge estates, and, and trying to understand what's in them and what might to do with them, and this sort of stuff is is kind of where our our system really comes in. I think there's and and what are the problems that they have? Yeah, so the obvious problem, which when we sort of sort of talk about it now, actually, it sort of it makes it sort of so clear, really, is that when you look at the outside of a building, it's not clear a what it is and b what applies to it. So can I, can I apply Class MA to it or not? Well, if you stand on the outside of it, you don't know. You've got to do a whole lot of research to work out, well, how big is it? You've got to measure it or go and find it from the rate system or whatever you're going to go and do. And so that just means that the industry is opaque. It means that there's, there's lots of things that you've, you can't find very easily. It's, it's, it's a really, so the, the first thing is, is providing as much transparency to that industry as we can. Often you want to go off and speak to somebody that has the answer to the question that you've got. You don't know where to go and who that person is. And so it's right the way through from what is the building and, and which is the right ones for me to go and try and target and, and who are the owners and how do I kind of get in touch with this sort of stuff? Who's there? Who's in their inner circle of, of contacts that I can go and get in touch with to, to try and unlock all this sort of stuff? But it boils down to some simple stuff around even what are these buildings worth? How big are they and what are they worth? It's even that is very difficult when you stood outside outside a building as an office building and saying well, what is that worth it's very hard to find so it starts off with that and then um, it's it then sort of layers up in terms of how do you create those networks and see who you should be getting in touch with and how you're going to go and unlock these things and how you're going to kind of leverage that that black book of the industry in effect how do you how do you do all of that so so those are sort of the main things we're, we're trying to crack Finding sites that work for for conversion is is just one of those things that um, that is quite useful, especially in, in today's marketplace. Well, all I will say is that it is a tool that anybody listening should go and check because you're doing a great job of tr- solving those problems from everything that I've seen. And Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, even if you are depressing us all by being by the beach. But <laughs> I will be putting Paul's details, Nimbus, Nimbus's details in the podcast description. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Paul. Thank you for having me. Been delightful. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Paul. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, everyone, to listening. Liam, let's hope you're in as good a chipper mood next week as you are this week. I will see you next week, mate.
see you Paul see you next week thanks Paul good to see you cheers guys